Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? Finally, we are back to talk about Buffy. It has been such a long and agonizing summer waiting to restart this project, wherein, um, if you don't know, I watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. So um, this project just started um, in May, and now, finally, after a long-ass summer, it is the 15th of September which means it is exactly 20 years after the airing of the first episode of season two of Buffy titled When She Was Bad. I am so excited to be back doing this project. Um, I have a reason to live again, basically. (laughs) Um, Anyway, let's get into it. I feel like I'm kind of rusty, but um, I'm probably going to feel like that at the first episode of each season because we will always have a summer where we have a dark dark summer where we don't get to watch Buffy um, where I will always be watching Buffy of course but um, I'm going to basically I think what my rule is going to be is that I'm not allowed to watch any of the season that I'm not allowed to skip ahead in the season I'm currently in in this project and I'm not allowed to watch the season that is upcoming during the summer So I am forcing myself to actually watch it in the context that it originally aired, which is kind of agonizing because I haven't experienced Buffy like this since it was actually airing. (laughs) And, um, but it's kind of fun at the same time because I, it really gives me a chance to relish in each individual episode. So, um, I'm going to start with, I haven't done it this way before, but I'm going to do a summary. Um, I'm going to read the summary that's in Keith Topping's The Complete Slayer. And then, um, as I'm reading it, I'm just going to stop and do commentary and then we'll go from there. Um, so excited to be back, you guys. Um, so excited. Anyway, I already said that. Okay. Buffy's back from summer vacation, but to Giles' surprise, she recommences her training immediately. Okay, so basically, the struggle is real with Buffy this episode. She is not okay. And if you'll remember, previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, she died at the last episode in season one and was resurrected by Xander via mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. CPR, I guess. (laughs) And um, she was killed by the master who was the first big bad on Buffy, who is like a Nosferatu type vampire, just real gnarly fruit punch mouth. You remember. And um, so at the end, the end of season one was very hopeful. Like she, she, when she came back, when she was revived by Xander, she was, her confidence was restored. She really, um, you know, kicked ass and killed the master pretty quickly after being resurrected. Whereas she was very, her confidence was very shaken before that in the episode. And she was really dealing with the prophecy of her mortality because the prophecy was that the master would kill her. And he did, but she came back because of her friends, which is a recurring theme on Buffy that this episode really um, displays thematically pretty effectively I would say is the whole thing with Buffy is in a sense it's it's the kind of the typical hero's journey of like the one being called and the one wanting to forsake their calling and the one tip figuring out how to accept their calling and becoming the one you know that's that's the hero's journey but And Buffy's twist on that is that she has friends and she is not the one. And the whole series ends with, obviously, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, here's your warning. The series of Buffy ends with her completely flipping the Slayer thing on its head. Like, she decides, why am I the chosen one? Why am I the only one? Because a bunch of dudes made this shit up thousands of years ago? 
no thanks let's change it and she makes she turns the slayer line of one at a time into hundreds at a time um, which is so cool I can't wait till we get to that point that's <laughs> a, a whole six years from now but anyway um so the recurring theme of Buffy is that you know she is not alone and every time she isolates herself her friends pull her back in and this is the first time we actually see this storyline being played out on Buffy um she is always her her reaction to emotional trauma is always to isolate herself and we will see her do this over and over again throughout the series but her friends don't let her go and I'm just in my head I'm thinking of all the times that has happened you know at the end of season two she really she runs away she isolates herself we're gonna have to deal with that trauma very soon um and at the end of season five she fucking dies and she's dead for the entire summer and her friends resurrect her bring her back from the dead and that's a case in which she was happy in the afterlife she was happy she was complete she was finished she was in heaven essentially and her friends brought her back her this is the first time you see her friends not letting her isolate herself which nine times out of ten is a good thing for Buffy's character it's the reason why she is one of probably the longest living slayer ever because slayers usually have a very short lifespan because you know they usually isolate themselves because of you know their situation just by necessity but anyway um okay see that was the commentary that i made after <laughs> after reading one sentence of the summary so this might take the entire episode um anyway okay Buffy suffers a nightmare and awakens to find Angel in her room. Okay, so the nightmare that Buffy has, which is also a recurring theme in Buffy, is her nightmares are prophetic, her nightmares are symbolic. Um, and I keep saying nightmares because they they don't really ever show her dreaming things that are not nightmares. Because this is a horror show, so obviously. Um, but the nightmare that she has is um, she's at school and... Xander and Willow she's she's sitting with Xander and Willow and Giles walks up and he um to like tell her something about like some evil portent that's coming or whatever she says well whatever whatever they got I'm ready I'm ready which is her her mantra this entire episode is that she's going to be ready okay I'm I'm ready let's do this like she's very traumatized by having been killed and she really is coming to terms with the fact that this is going to be her life she's never going to be a normal girl she's still coming to terms with her hero's calling um and then giles starts choking her and um while xander and willow are just sitting there not even paying attention to to what's happening uh, which is the moment where you know it's a dream I mean, obviously, Giles would not start choking her, but it, you definitely know it's a dream whenever Xander and Willow are just totally ignoring the situation. Um, and then she, like, reaches up to his face and pulls his face off, and underneath the Giles mask is the master. So, hey, lots of symbolism there. I don't even need to explain that symbolism. Like, she's feeling at odds and isolated from her friends and from Giles. She just spent the summer away from them, too, um, which I don't think this summary has mentioned and I haven't said yet. Um, she was visiting her dad for the summer and um, just side note her dad Hank this is the second of I think three maybe four total throughout the series sightings of Hank the first time you see him in a dream sequence um, in an episode where um, Buffy's dealing with a lot of issues of you know father abandonment and shit and it's a birthday episode um so this is the second time we've seen him he you see him having a conversation with joyce her mom um as he's bringing her back and they're kind of unpacking all of her stuff which i think is kind of weird like they're in her bedroom unpacking her things like she's a sophomore in high school like 
No, at this point, she's a junior. She's a junior in high school. I think she would be unpacking her own shit. But whatever, I guess that was the set that they had available. So that was the excuse that they had for them unpacking in Buffy's bedroom. But anyway, in order for them to have this conversation where he was just sort of telling Joyce, like, she's... She's been really, like, kind of isolated, not really sulking, but just not really engaging, and blah, blah, blah. And so this is the second time we see Hank. And and you think of him as, at this point, you think of him as being a dad that's going to, like, maybe she's going to go to her dad's every single summer. Like, you think that he's going to be involved. But this is really the last time that you see him until... I think, I think the next time we see him is, um, in season six, whenever there's, um, an alternate reality type episode where, um, just without going into it, it's like an alternate reality type episode where her parents are still together and you see him then. And it's always the same actor. Um, thankfully, like someone that's that little a part of the show, it could easily be like they could recast them or something, but they did find the same actor. And there's one other time I can't really remember what it was, but I think there's one other time that you might see him. So that's why I'm not for sure. Anyway, whatever. I spent too much time talking about how many times you see Hank. It's three or four and that's it. That's the only time you ever see her father are those three or four times and... Yeah, there you go. Um, oh, and so, okay. When she when Buffy wakes up from this nightmare, she looks around her room and she's, you know, no one's there. She's just like freaking out. She woke up. And then all of a sudden, Angel is there. She turns away and from the window and then she turns back around and Angel is there. And at first I was like, oh my God, how fucking creepy is this? How long has he been sitting there? But on the second watching, I noticed that little moment where she looks around the room and he's not there. So he had just gotten there, thankfully. (laughs) Um, But anyway, he's there to like warn her about the anointed one or whatever the fuck. And she's just, she's being real bitchy towards him. And then, and this is kind of the the real beginning of her being real bitchy towards everyone. Like she's not okay. And she's trying to isolate herself from everyone because she's not okay. And because she thinks that she's putting them in danger just by being friends with them and all this shit. Um, Anyway. Okay. He warns her that the anointed one has been gathering vampires, but Buffy is dismissive. Cordelia and Jenny are kidnapped by vampires and Buffy is told to go to the bronze. So, um, that is kind of really skipping ahead. Um, that's skipping ahead a lot, actually. So one of the exciting parts of this episode, Chibo Mato are playing at the bronze. And it is amazing, you guys. Oh my god, Chibo Mato, um, their album Viva La Woman is one of my top five albums of all time. And um, it's very exciting to have them be in this episode. They play two songs at the bronze, um, Spoon and Sugar Water. And here's where the bitchiness really amps up for Buffy. She walks into the bronze while Chibomato are playing. Um, Xander, or Xander and Willow are there because she's meeting them there. And um, Angel is also there probably to find her, I'm assuming. Um, and so she walks in while Sugar Water is playing and it's just like she's just slinks up and she is just full bitch mode and she decides to make make Angel jealous by dancing with Xander. So this is her almost calculated move. She's trying to push her friends away. She's trying to isolate herself and push them off. Like she... I think that at the root of this, she feels like she doesn't deserve to have friends. She feels like she's going to get them killed. You know, all that shit that I was just saying a second ago. But the way that she does this, like, woo. So she comes in. She decides that the perfect way to fuck everyone over to get Xander pissed off at her, to get Willow pissed off at her, and to get Angel pissed off at her 
to get back at him and make him jealous and all that shit. Because she, she's further tormented, not, not only all this um, being killed and all the Slayers shit, but she's further tormented by the fact that she is in love with Angel and she can't stop loving him, even though she now knows that he's a vampire. And they've only had like, you know, that one kiss. And then that was the moment that she realized he was a vampire because he went into vamp face while they were kissing. And she's still sort of in the aftermath of that. And that's the last contact they've had together. And they're like doing that whole trying to stay apart from each other, but they are drawn to each other and all this shit. But anyway, her way of getting back at everyone simultaneously is to slink up, tell Xander she wants to dance, do like this super sexy dance while Sugarwater is playing, um, which is not actually very sexy. Like, maybe it could be if like, um, okay, so the best vampire, the best Buffy podcast, not mine, um, is called buffering the vampire slayer and so i was listening to their i always as part of my research i listen to their episode um of whatever the episode i'm about to do and they mentioned in this that like two people have never had less chemistry as these two in this scene which is true but it's kind of the point like she's like doing she's like grinding up on xander and he's just standing there and in fact he looks kind of angry and he's like clenching his jaw and I feel like the acting is not executed as well as it could have been because of but this is a complex situation because he is in love with her and she knows it and he is pretty he's pretty good at observing emotional realities he has a pretty pretty high emotional quotient you know he's He's up there on the emotional IQ. Like, he knows what the fuck's going on in this situation. He, like, doesn't know how to stop it. It doesn't try to stop it. But he also knows that she's using him. And you can see it on his face. And it's kind of, it's an aggressive anger that he has on his face, though. And I think that's kind of the wrong emotion. But this is Nicholas Brendan's first acting job. And this is only the beginning of season two. So he probably just didn't have the actory depth that he needed to pull off the emotions needed for this scene. But it was still pretty effective. Pretty freaking creepy. And so she's all sexy dancing up on him. And she says, did I ever thank you for saving my life? And he said, no. And she's like, don't you wish I would? And then she just leaves the bronze. And this is where the best moment happens in the entire episode. So, oh, I forgot to mention, whenever Buffy first like slinks into the room and the song's playing and she's about to do the sexy dance with Xander. Um, as she's walking across the room, you see Cordelia just watching the whole scene she's just standing by herself probably with her arms crossed if i remember correctly and she's just watching this whole thing go down so as buffy's leaving the bronze after she said don't you wish i would and then just leaves um and of course willow's super hurt like angel watched the whole thing go down like everybody is hurt by this situation cordelia follows her outside and then they have a conversation in the alley where I really need to find the quote from it um Cordelia basically this is going to be paraphrasing but she asks Buffy like are you campaigning for bitch of the year and Buffy replies as defending champion you nervous and she says I can hold my own and then she says oh god I gotta find it so I can say it correctly okay so she basically says, I'm going to give you some advice. And this is just the best. Cordelia, Cordelia's, let's just go ahead and reveal it. The most valuable player of this episode, MVP, goes to Cordelia because of this moment. Because she just stood back and observed this situation. She saw exactly what was going on. And she says to Buffy, whatever's causing the Joan Collins tood, deal with it. Embrace the pain, spank your inner moppet, whatever get over it she just basically says to her 
get over it. Whatever the fuck this is that you are doing, get over it because you're about to, she says, you're about to lose the, the loser friends you have now. <laughs> um, and which is just perfect. Cordelia, Cordelia, you are perfect. This is amazing. Um, and Buffy just sort of like flips her hood up and walks off. Like, she doesn't fucking give a shit about your stupid advice. And at that moment, as she turns away and walks away from Cordelia, that's when Cordelia gets taken. And if Buffy wasn't being such a bitch, she wasn't, you know, doing that whole bitchy thing that she's doing in this episode, which is why it's called When She Was Bad, she would have noticed that Cordelia got taken. Just the second she starts walking away is when it happens. Okay, so... Um, blah, blah, blah. Assuming she's walking into a trap, Buffy realizes too late that it is actually a diversion to allow the abduction of Giles and Willow as the blood of the people closest to the master when he died is needed for his revivification. So at this point, Buffy has noticed that the master's grave is empty because apparently the master didn't dust like most vampires do his bones were left behind so they had like a ritual and buried the bones and all this shit but apparently they had been um dug back up and so this is where you find out that in order for the vampires to do the ritual of bringing the master back um, they needed the people that were physically closest to the master when he died and so what happened when the master died was Buffy threw him through like the sky window, skylight window thing of the library. And he like fell on something like a stake or whatever. And in the library standing around him as this was happening were Giles, Willow, uh, Miss Calendar and Cordelia. So that's why they've, they've all been taken at this point because Buffy was distracted by, um, they lured her to a place because they revealed that they had Cordelia. And so Cordelia and Miss Calendar are together when um, Buffy goes to the whatever. Anyway, so that was the distraction so that they could get um, Giles and Willow. So apparently Xander wasn't standing there at the time. Um, so he wasn't taken. He was just beat up a little bit. And um, okay, so here we go. With Angel and Xander's help, Buffy tracks the vampires to a warehouse and, in a whirlwind of violence, deals with the issues issues that Giles believes she still has outstanding. That's a, kind of a bad summary, but whatever. We're going with it. It's just to remind me, because I forget about the details of things, and I just, you know how I am. I forget the details of plot, and I just kind of go down little tangents, so I'm trying... I'm trying to figure out ways to keep myself on task and like actually explain to you what's going on in the episode as I'm babbling about little things so I can keep grounded in the episode a little bit better. So this is my first attempt. I'm a booger queen. You know how I can do. Anyway, so what do I need to say at this point? Um, the scene of her... <clears throat> rescuing everybody and dealing with the vampires um it's kind of interesting because she walks in and angel's like her and angel are together at this point they you know they get to the warehouse where the vampires are about to have the ritual and um cordelia miss calendar giles and willow are all hanging upside down over the master's bones so that's part of the ritual apparently and they're all like unconscious hanging upside down um and so they're about to start the ritual and buffy and angel show up after this super amusing scene where she goes back to the library when she realizes that they were trying to distract her um away from the warehouse away from the library or whatever when she goes back to the library when she realizes what the fuck's going on um xander is super pissed off because if she hadn't just like she knew it was going to be a trap she didn't know what kind of trap but she knew it was going to be a trap and she went anyway and that left them vulnerable and that's not something that buffy would have normally done and she's been a bitch this entire episode so xander says if you hurt if they hurt willow i'll kill you <laughs> which 
amuses me and I have to laugh because, you know, like he's, this is his way of expressing that he's very angry with Buffy right now. That like, no matter how big a crush he has on her, like if she endangers his best friend forever, like, no. Oh, and I didn't even mention at the very beginning of the episode, it opens with Xander and Willow. They're hanging out. They've had a really boring summer. They're playing like cheesy little games like rock, paper, scissors and like movie quote games where one of them says a quote and the other one has to guess what movie it's from. And they have a moment where they almost kiss. Like it was, it was a nice little moment. It was, it almost happened, but at that moment, a vampire shows up and apparently they hadn't, they hadn't seen a single vampire all summer while Buffy was gone, luckily. (laughs) And so like the second the vampire shows up, Buffy shows up. So it's sort of like their lives are complicated and more dangerous because of Buffy. And so you think, well, maybe it's a good thing that she's trying to isolate herself from them. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So um, they have that little moment, but it's completely ruined by Buffy showing up. So, anyway. What was I saying? So him saying that, like, despite the fact that he doesn't have feelings for Willow, which is a whole complicated thing, that, like... Uh, okay, I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, so... <laughs> Um, despite the fact that he doesn't have feelings for Willow, he's still, like, she's his best friend. That's a big deal. And the fact that Buffy is endangering her life because of her bitchiness, like, she needed to be called on that. And even though it's sort of a cheesy way of doing it, like, I feel like they could have had a better line than, if they hurt Willow, I'll kill you. But I guess, you know, whatever. It's effective. Um, so then, okay, so, Angel and Xander I think Xander Xander is there at that point when they go to the warehouse there's this great moment where she how she finds out that where they're being kept is a certain warehouse is the person that was set as bait was supposed to look like Cordelia from behind was just one of the vampires one of the random vampires um she tortures her for information to find out where the rest of them are being held and how she does this which I think is kind of badass she pulls her cross necklace off of her neck and she um just dangles it in the vampire's mouth and holds holds her mouth shut and so you know because it's a cross it's like burning her and so that's how she gets her to tell the information I don't know why I just thought that was badass I normally don't think that any kind of torture even if it's done by the good guys is badass but that moment, I don't know, something about that imagery of just, like, trapping the cross in the vampire's mouth and it's just, like, steaming and, like, really hurting her. It's just a badass move. And I sometimes wish that Buffy, there's, like, there's always, like, such a clear-cut morality with Buffy. Like, this is one of the only times you see her going off the deep end and she really applies herself when she goes to the bitchy evil place so it's just it's very binary like I sometimes wish that Buffy I mean by the end of the series she has sort of embraced a little bit of darkness and but in these first few seasons it's like either Buffy is totally and perfectly angelic and good or she's totally fucking bitch (laughs) and I wish that like I mean, I guess this little moment of torture is like the beginnings of you seeing her having little bits of darkness, Um, but this time it's in the context of her just being a total bitch, but this moment is just badass, I think. Okay, so they get to the warehouse, Xander and Angel um, free Cordelia, Miss Callender, Giles, and Willow as Buffy is and this is a nice little badass moment too like they're standing there the the vampires haven't noticed that they're there yet and Angel's like okay so we need to distract them and so how are we going to distract them or something like that and Buffy's like I'm going to kill them all that'll distract them and so she takes on all of them by herself Um, I think there's a moment where Angel steps in a little bit But for the most part, she takes on all the vampires, and I don't know how many there were, probably five, 
ish. She takes them all on by herself and she totally kicks ass. So she has definitely, I mean, they're showing that her actual like skills, her fighting skills and everything like that, they are exponentially better after she defeated the master, after she died and was resurrected. They're exponentially better now. She is, she is physically much more capable of carrying out her duties as a slayer now but emotionally she's she's in a bad place obviously um and after she defeats all the vampires they're left with just um the the bones of the master on like this table and everybody's watching um everybody's conscious again and everybody's watching um from above like they're on like some platform up high or something and they can see Buffy and like one of them one of them comments well it's over because she just killed all the vampires and um Xander says no it's not which is a nice little moment it's the kind of the beginnings this episode I feel like is kind of the beginnings of you of Xander's characterization he ultimately become becomes the one who sees everything he's the um again like his emotional intelligence is very high he is able to sense everyone's feelings and he's he becomes kind of wise in that sense and every once in a while he imparts his his emotional wisdom he's like what will later be referred to as the heart of the group um and this is kind of I feel like this episode is the first time you really see that being displayed from Xander. The fact that, despite the fact that he is super into Buffy, and most dudes, especially at that age, would have just been like, you know what, I'm going to take it however I can get it, and he would have fully embraced the sexy dance. But he knew what the fuck was going on, so he would not let himself enjoy that moment because he knew what the fuck was going on. And most dudes at that age, I mean, he would have been like 16, 17 at this point. Most dudes at that age did not have that emotional intelligence, I'm here to tell you. They would not have understood what the fuck was going on in that situation. They wouldn't have seen the nuance. <laughs> but he does. And the fact that he was the one that said, no, it's not over. Um, I think it was Willow. It's like, okay, well, I guess it's over. No, it's not. And that's when Buffy takes a sledgehammer and, like, just gets out all her issues, as Giles called them earlier in the episode, um, by pounding the master's bones and just breaking them all up. And she's just really getting it all out. She starts crying as she's doing it. And when she stops... Angel's there. He kind of like creeps up behind her slowly as she's doing this. And whenever she finally stops breaking up the master's bones with the sledgehammer, she just sort of just breaks down completely crying and um, Angel hugs her. And it's just a sweet little moment. And as was mentioned in, um, I think it was the Why Buffy Matters book, which is one of my, one of my many academic resources that I consult. I have a stack of Buffy books um, that I consult before doing each of these. See, I do some research before I do each of these episodes. One, one of them mentioned that, um, that most episodes of television would have ended right here. And then they started talking about the isolationism of Buffy and, um, what, what was mentioned was that, okay, so most episodes of TV would have ended right here. You know, she's being hugged. She got out some of her issues. It would have ended here. But this show takes it further because it's, it's not about Buffy being alone and Buffy dealing with her issues. At the end of the day, it's about the community surrounding Buffy, not just Buffy. She is not the chosen one isolated by herself. And that is the point of the series and the point of this episode, which is written and directed by Joss Whedon, of course. That's why it's so effective as to reinforcing the premise of the entire show. But anyway, the episode does not end here because it carries on into the next day where Buffy's having a conversation with Giles and she's like really scared to 
to be reunited with her friends in class to see them again after everything she did to them and she's expressing this to Giles and (laughs) Giles is so sweet he's like um he says well this is hardly the worst mistake you're gonna make in your life (laughs) and I love that little moment because it's not comforting to her at all in that moment but it's a really good like kind of father fatherly type conversation like oh yeah well you probably don't want to hear that right now because you're a teenager and this feels like the worst thing in the world at the moment but um so she's afraid to go see them and she's having that conversation with Giles and then she the very last scene of the episode is um her in class um with Giles and Willow and they've saved her a seat like they immediately forgive her because they see everything that happened you know they watched her deal with that and they just immediately forgive her without her having to ask for forgiveness without her even having to say she's sorry and they gauge the moment of like knowing that she maybe knowing that she really can't talk about it and they just understand completely and they just they say we saved you a seat, you know, like she's looking real insecure. Like, I don't know if I should sit here. Are you guys, do you hate my guts? And then she sits down after they tell her that they saved her a seat. And then they just start joking around like, Hey, what do you want to do tonight? Do you want to go to the bronze? Um, and she's just not even saying anything. Like she's just being very tentative, just like looking at them like, Oh God, do you hate me? And they're like, Hey, what do you want to do tonight? Should we go to the bronze? Oh, I don't know. We could ground our enemies into talcum powder, but gosh, we did that last night, you know? <laughs> and it's just this nice little moment, which that right there is the quote of the episode. It's said by Xander. And, you know, it just ends with, oh my God, I gotta mention. Okay, so this episode, as I mentioned before, has two Chivo Motto songs. Great times. It also has an Alison Krauss song that I really, really, really like called It Doesn't Matter. Like, in the top ten songs ever on Buffy, that's definitely one of them. So, alongside those three excellent song choices in this episode, there are two instances of, like, copyright-free, terrible bullshit. There's one in, like, a training montage of Buffy, like, oh god, it's, like, weird, like, hard rock type copyright free terribleness and then this moment at the very end of the episode it almost just like ruins the whole episode I mean it really doesn't but it's very bad it's like inspirational piano music it's just terrible I mean it's supposed to make you feel better and optimistic and like everything's gonna be just fine but who the fuck allowed that terrible bit of music to be in this episode so bad I'm crying just thinking about it it was so bad so bad anyway okay so that's it that's the episode right there um Buffy was a super bitch and she dealt with her issues and everybody forgave her and everybody's reunited and the tone of the season starts out being super dark and then you're back to a hopeful place um so good episode overall let's go through some of my notes and things here um the things that i haven't already said an other cute little quote moment um was they're sitting around in the cafeteria giles willow and xander and they're talking about like what the fuck's up with buffy she's being a super bitch lately and and this is like the only time i'm probably ever gonna refer to buffy as a bitch and i've said it like 25 times in this episode please do not create a drinking game wherein you take a shot every time i call buffy a bitch in this episode because it would be bad you would need to go to the hospital so let's not do that okay maybe a sip of beer every time i call buffy a bitch if you want to do that um but anyway this is the scene where someone actually refers to her as a bitch wherein willow says yeah, I just, I don't understand why she, this is the morning after the sexy dance situation, which was like the height, the peak of her bitchiness. Um, And Willow says, I don't understand why she's being such a B-I-T-C-H. And Giles is like, okay, we're all grown here. You can just say it. And (laughs) Xander just goes, a bitka? (laughs) 
<laughs> I just love it. I just love it. So I always laugh, and it seems like okay. So I've already watched this episode twice, of course, for for this. Um, twice in the last couple of days for this. Once with my mom, and once with my Michael. And both times, I just start laughing at that part, and neither of them really reacted. <laughs> like I just think it's an awesome joke, but other people didn't love it as much apparently okay so quote of the episode i already said was xander you know talking about how we can grind our enemies into talcum powder but gosh we did that last night um outfit of the episode this one was a real struggle like even looking for it there was just nobody was wearing good clothes in this episode it was bad and it's i am worried that this is a portent because the the outfits in season one were consistently amazing, and I wanted to own articles of clothing, clothing from several characters almost every episode. But this episode, if I hadn't been paying attention, I wouldn't have even noticed what anyone was wearing. It was just boring. Like, one of the only things I noticed was the last scene that had Cordelia in it. Um, she was wearing these pants that were... Okay, I do know outfit of the episode. I just thought of it. Anyway, Cordelia was wearing these pants that displayed some serious camel toe, which, fine, whatever. Do you? I think Cordelia is definitely the type of person that would occasionally wear pants wherein she had camel toe. But, man. Um, so, look out for that. <laughs> anyway. God, did you hear my stomach? Apparently it's lunchtime. Okay, uh, so outfit of the episode... At first, I was thinking it's going to have to go to the members of Chibomato, which it does kind of go to the members of Chibomato. Um, each of them was were wearing cute outfits. Um, the lead singer, God, I should know their fucking names, shouldn't I? I should really know their names. Let me look that up real quick. Actually, I can't because I don't have any internet devices around me right now. Um, who have the record. I can look at the record. Okay. Miko and Yuka are the names of the two women in the band. And according to the album sleeve of Viva La Woman, it was, Sean Lennon's not mentioned, but he was in their band at the point of, at, during the appearance of, on this show. And I think he was in their band after Viva La Woman. So apparently he wasn't involved. I don't know. I didn't actually read the whole thing. So actually, don't listen to me. Maybe he was in it, but I don't think so. I didn't see his name in when I was reading the notes in the album. So uh, Yuka and Miho were one of, I don't know which is which, but the lead singer was wearing like this wrap around this beautiful like emerald green, like sari type situation tied around her. And she looked gorgeous. She had a bendy on her forehead. She had this awesome emerald green shimmery eye makeup. And she she looked beautiful. She looked flawless. And um, the keyboardist, the other woman, the main woman in the band, um, she was wearing like this cute little like Indian looking crop top situation. Sean Lennon was wearing like glitter and eyeliner and he had a bendy too and he was wearing like a skirt. They were all wearing like Indian type outfits. Like his was like a wrap around sari type skirt he was wearing like with a t-shirt or something. So they all looked great. So they get real outfit of the episode but if we're going to talk about best outfit on the main cast I would say, um, and it's it's a stretch, it's not a great outfit, but Buffy was wearing in one of the, like the first day of bitchiness, like before the night of Sexy Dance with Xander bitchiness, she was wearing these super high-waisted, um, they almost look like army pants, but they were cut in like a, they were just like a fashion-y cut kind of way they were like high-waisted a little bit pleated but it looked really good it looked really interesting the pants were cool and she was wearing like a white tank top with it and so that didn't really look that great but the pants were good so that is a stretch but that's the best outfit of the episode um okay so we did outfit we did quote um the i like to pick object of affection in the episode um object of uh covetous covet 
coveting, covetous object? That's not a word. Object I covet in the episode. I need a more graceful way to say that. Um, The only thing I could think, again, there's just not great props in this episode, not great outfits. Like nobody was like wearing an awesome jacket or anything in this episode. It was just boring. So the only thing I could really say, also kind of a stretch. Actually, some people had some good shoes. There were some nice like chunky, strappy heels that I kind of miss from the 90s those chunky strappy heels that people had because they were you know they were still uncomfortable because they were still heels but they were chunky and they weren't too high and they sort of had platforms happening they were like platform chunky sort of heels with straps do you remember those in the 90s I miss them there were several pairs featured in this episode so if I weren't going to choose one of those pairs there was also in the background during the scene of Hank and Joyce talking about Buffy unpacking her shit for her um there was a like a vinyl smiley face backpack in the background of Buffy's room and that just really brought me back and I sort of wish I had one <laughs> that whole smiley face backpack situation now it would be like an emoji but this was the iconic smiley face of that era you know what I'm saying the have a nice day smiley face so cute um so that really brought me back and so if I could pluck one object out of this episode to have in my real life it would be that smiley face backpack even though I wouldn't use it that often because I'm not a smiley face backpack kind of person but I wouldn't have been back then but just the nostalgia of it I would love to have it actually So that's the object of affection of the episode. Like I said already before, the MVP of this episode is for sure Cordelia. Like Xander calls her on her shit too, but Cordelia was the one that had the most powerful impact because she is a total bitch herself and she owns that bitchiness. But seeing it in Buffy and knowing that that's not, that's not Buffy's realm, just just any time you get to see Cordelia, like she's paying attention. She's always paying attention. She's in the background a lot of the time. She's on the sidelines of their lives still at this point. But by the end of this season, I think she'll she'll be a pretty, a much more in, integral part of the group. But at this point, she's still, she's still on the outside. She hasn't totally accepted the fact that she's part of their gang. And she is still acting like she thinks she's above them. But anytime you get to see her just like you know her Cordelia's awesome powers of observation when you get to see them happen is a rare and delightful treat so um yeah I just I just had a flash forward to another time in the season where that happens that's an awesome moment she will definitely be MVP in that episode as well but I'll save that I'll save that for then um Let's see, Giles gets knocked out again this episode. That's a notable thing because Giles gets gets knocked out a lot. Um, I think last time I watched the series and was keeping track, I think Giles gets knocked out 10 times during the entire series, maybe 11. Um, And this is the fifth. This is the fifth time Giles has been knocked out, and this is only the first episode of season two. So very front-loaded in the knock-a-Giles-out situations. Um, if it only happens, only happens 10 or 11 times. Like it was a trope and it was mostly a trope just because of the first couple seasons. It just happens a lot. Um, let's see. Oh, and like I was saying that Why Buffy Matters book mentions that only two seasons of Buffy, like the ending shots end with Buffy being alone. And that's like a, and it's a conscious choice like when they have Buffy alone at the end of a season it is because something terrible has happened and this season is actually one of those she will be alone at the very end of this season at the last shot and it is it is not good it's a it's a darkness she's a serious darkness has descended upon her at the end of this season And um, also the Why Buffy Matters book was talking about, um, there's a certain chapter in the Why Buffy Matters book that is comparing Buffy's hero arc to Harry Potter. And one of the things that they um, were mentioning when they mentioned this episode in this chapter 
they were comparing, um, they were talking about that whole friend situation. It's in that same arena, in that same few paragraphs of that chapter. They were talking about how um, Harry Potter is sort of in that same vein of like, he's not a typical hero because he succeeds because of his friends a lot of the time. The same with Buffy. Like she cannot do it alone. And um, even though she's the most powerful out of any of them, and she's saving their asses more than they're saving hers, but they are still saving hers. And they were just pointing out that Harry Potter is similar. And that also the, the story arc of Harry Potter is similar to Buffy in that each of the Harry Potter books represents a year of Harry Potter's life at school. And each season of Buffy is a year in Buffy's life as well. Like every time and summers were always off for Buffy seasons and every time the season starts back up, they, you know, make mention of the summer before of like what happened during the summer. Um, so it's always in real time. Every time you see an episode of Buffy, if it's airing in the 15th of September, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the 15th of September ish in their world. Like that's what you're seeing. You're seeing them go back to school at the beginning of each season, if they're still in school. And that's apparently a rare thing in narrative arcs like this. And I've always really liked that about Buffy. Like you've just spent the whole summer not watching Buffy. You know, it's, it's just a nice little connection to the real world that they always refer to the fact that we've just had a summer off. Like they, they always do that. And I like that. And it, it gives more weight to the storylines of Buffy, I feel like, because you know that she has just spent an entire summer sulking about the fact that she just got killed and being haunted by the master who was the biggest evil she's ever faced in her life so far. She's only been a slayer for like two years at this point. And you know, it's a big deal. And it's something that a person would actually, it would have a lot of emotional weight. You would really have to deal with that shit. And it gives it much more weight to know that she spent the entire summer just like trying to be in a good place and trying to have like, like she, when she's recounting her summer, when she first meets back up with Xander and Willow, when she saves them from that vampire after they almost kissed. You know, they're like, hey, how was your summer? And she's like, it was good. You know, shopping was a major theme, did some partying, blah, blah, blah. And you just know that like, no, she wasn't partying. Like she was shopping because her dad took her shopping because he didn't know how to connect to her anymore. And so he was taking her shopping to compensate, which is part of the conversation that Hank and Joyce have later is like so many shoes they were unpacking and he was like well I just I, I don't know I just bought her shoes because I didn't know how to talk to her um and you can tell that like no she didn't do any of that she sat around being sad that's it she spent a whole summer sitting around being sad and which is another theme on Buffy like it deals with depression in a pretty effective way I would say um and this is the first time you get to see like a major bout of depression that Buffy's going through in this. And there will be several more times during the series that you see that. But um, yeah, so overall, very good episode. I am very happy with it. Uh, let's see, have I discussed all my notes? I think I have. I've discussed all my notes, so let's call it. Um, Time for the five by five ratings. So as always, I pick a score between zero and five for two different factors, and I multiply them together to get the final score. The first factor is um, just overall enjoyability of the episode, just like how much I liked it in general. And the second five score out of five is how much I think the episode conveyed the message that it was trying to convey. So as far as just overall enjoyability, there were some like, there were some cringy moments in this episode. So I gave it a four. So I mean, still good. I think this is a good episode. Um, but most of what I think is good about this episode is how well it conveys what it's supposed to convey. The fact that no matter 
that every time Buffy gets depressed, she's going to try to isolate herself from everyone because she thinks she's the only one that can do this shit. And um, her friends don't let her do that. And that's why she's a much more effective and much longer lived slayer than any other slayer, which I discussed already. But so I think this episode definitely conveys what it's meant to convey. So I gave it a five in that category. So its overall score is a 20 coming from me. Um, I did not get my mom or my Michael scores on this particular episode. Um, it just didn't happen that I recorded with them. I just didn't record with them this time. So probably next week you'll get a minute, but this week it's just me. So welcome back. I'm so excited that I got to do this again. I'm very happy and oh, just so happy. Just so happy that I get to upload a Buffy podcast again. Um, I did not do a What's Up with Mixtress. Um, let's see. I guess... I mean, I did do podcasts during the summer, but I was very sporadic, so I apologize about that. Um, I hope to have a better plan for next summer, but let's not worry about that yet because we don't have to. Fall is coming. I'm so excited. I love fall. This is like my very favorite time of the year when you're like just on the precipice of fall. Like you have the whole fall to look forward to, and it it makes me very happy whenever Halloween things come back to the store. Um, this is just my favorite time of year, and it's it's going to be even more my favorite time of year now that I'm doing this Buffy project because I'll get to start watching Buffy again after a whole summer of drought. Um, but yes, uh, very excited. There's so many awesome things about fall. Um, it always, for me, starts with my mom's birthday. My mom's birthday is at the very beginning of September. And then um, at the end of September is um, Michael and I's wedding anniversary and my grandma's birthday. They fall on the same day. Um, and that is always, that's on the 25th. So that's right around, sometimes it falls on the equinox or on the, um, is it the equinox? Yeah, it is the equinox. Sometimes it falls right on the equinox, but... Um, it's usually a few days after the first day of fall. It's always a few days after the first day of fall. The first day of fall is always like the 20th or the 21st, right? Or the 22nd. This year it's the 22nd, which is next Friday. The first day of fall is next Friday, you guys. So we will get to watch next week. We get to watch, um, some assembly required, which I remember as being a pretty bad episode. It might be one of the top five most hokey episodes of Buffy but it should be fun we can make a drinking game out of it it'll be good um yes so first day of fall coming up and then um and then my birthday is at the very beginning of October and then the end of October is Halloween and then the beginning of November is like Diwali and day of the dead and then you get Thanksgiving and then you get Christmas and the first day of winter and I just like this whole the whole last fourth of the year is my favorite it always is and I really hope we have an actual winter this year we have not had one in two years we've just had like little blips of like like a week that's kind of cold but we didn't even have any snow last winter or the one before so I hope we have a real winter this year um Anyway, so uh, what's up with Mixtress? Nothing has really happened to me lately. Um, I got to go to Florida to see my best friend Kim this summer. Um, and she came here uh, this last week. So I got to see her twice this summer. So that was an unexpected surprise. Um, it's been a long summer. It was the first summer of being open at a new library, which really took over my brain for the entire summer, basically, which is most of the reason why I didn't have podcasts every week, because it was just, it was a lot. It was just a lot. But I have, we opened at the new library May 31st. So I have at this point pretty much acclimated to the new library. However, I'm just starting to realize after the initial period of hating everything for like the first two months, I spent like the third month of the library being open, sort of calming down and realizing that, you know, settling in and 
now that we're entering the June, July, August, September, yeah, now that we're entering the fourth month of being open at this new library, I'm really, I'm really realizing that I don't love my job as much as I used to. Um, and I think that that can be fixed by just changing positions in the library. So I'm just going to keep my eye open and, um, you know, apply next time there's an opening in a, in a department that I would like to work in. Um, so it's a situation, like, I'm not thinking about leaving the library or anything like that, but it's just, I just really don't like the, the differences in my position in the old library versus the new library. It's a, it's a really big difference. It's a totally different job now. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too far into it because this podcast is already an hour long, but I should give you guys a life update, right? Since it's been like weeks since I had a podcast and I've only had like a couple this whole summer or more than a couple, but you know, I've only had like two a month this whole summer. Um, so like long story short, I really, there are two main tasks like in the pie chart of things that take up my time while I'm at work, these two particular things take up probably a good two thirds, three fourths of the entire time I'm at work. And both of these things are things that I don't enjoy doing very much. So um, I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. So they're like a big part of my job now. Um, and one of these things wasn't a part of my job. Uh, let's see. One of these things was probably 5% of my job at the old library and is now, now like 40% of my job. It's the biggest chunk of my job now, which is teaching people how to use the self-checks because they're all self-checks at the new library. And just walking people through it takes up a good a good gigantic almost half chunk of my day and I don't like it so that's a big factor of just in general I think I want to move on from this position I don't want to leave the library and if it gets to a point where I do leave this library I'm gonna leave it for another library which is probably not going to happen because you know I've earned five weeks of vacation per year at this library um, and I don't want to give that up <laughs> at all because that's real nice. Um, I have personal leave and sick leave and, you know, like I get a lot of holidays off, um, and paid for them. So I have it pretty good, but it just aspects of the position at this library have, are just not so fun. And the other part of my job that has become was probably a good 10% of my job before the move, but is now another thing that takes up like 40, 50% of my time, which is signing people up for cards because it's a new library. People that haven't come to the library in decades are getting cards and signing people up for library cards is just, it's not fun to me. I don't enjoy it and I have to do it a lot now. <laughs> Luna doesn't like it either. She hates it. She hates signing people up for library cards. She fucking hates it. Um, so anyway, it's, it's not, it's not even that depressing. It's just, you know what? I just uh, took a step back this last week or two and just looked around and I'm like, you know what? I kind of don't like this job that much now. So let's just keep my eyes open for other library things. So that's as far as that goes, really. Um, yeah, I got an awesome set of speakers, my trash speakers, as I like to call them, because I found them next to someone's trash can in an alley while throwing away my dog's doggy bag, <laughs> her little gift to the world. Um, and they're awesome. Like someone was throwing away like super awesome speakers that at the time that they came out into the world... It was, um, I did some research and these particular speakers were released between 1979 and 1984. So I don't know exactly what year, but around that time period, that five-year period. Um, and at the time they cost $350 for 
for this pair of speakers. And in inflation money, that's like buying a pair of speakers now that would cost like 1200 bucks. That's a real big deal. That is some serious, serious. They're, they're so good, you guys. They're so good. If you've listened to my radio show in the last couple of weeks, it's like all I've been talking about is how good these speakers are. They're like reigniting my love of music, having these speakers and being able to listen to these speakers. And they are amazing and I love them so much. So, um... Yeah, anyway, I'm just really excited. I'm excited. I keep saying that. Happy, happy, happy to bring you guys the Buffy podcast again. Please, please help me out and tell other people if you like this podcast. um, Because I would love to get to interact with you guys a little bit more. Um, If you would like to contact me and talk to me about Buffy or anything else, really. Um, you can email me mixtressradio at gmail, which is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-D-I-O at gmail. Or you can find me on my website, which is mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E.com. And all my links to social medias and shit are on there. I'm mixtressray on pretty much everything, which for me, pretty much everything is... Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Uh, Yeah, so that's where you can find me on the internets. Um, Please leave me a rating on, if you want to do me a huge, huge, huge favor, you can um, give me a rating on iTunes because apparently that helps people find the podcast. Um, And if you want to do me another really huge favor you can send me some money on paypal because it does cost me money to make this podcast to make my radio show both of those things both those things cost money so i would love it if every once in a while you could throw me a couple bucks and if you do choose to do that the way to do that is paypal.me slash mixtress ray same way i spelled it earlier mixtress with an x ray with an e so um that's it for this week i will be back next week with some assembly required which is a frankenstein monster type episode of buffy (laughs) and it's one that i always dread but in the past when i've dreaded a buffy episode it's ended up being like a lot of fun to talk about so um it's probably going to be that situation again. So I'll come up with a drinking game, um, which is always the most fun way to enjoy episodes of Buffy that are kind of terrible. <laughs> so I'll see you guys next week. Bye.